continue now through the uh, reading of Scripture and the proclamation of the Gospel. Uh, Let me pray, and uh, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6, where we'll be today. Uh, Let me pray for our time together in God's Word. Father God in heaven, Lord, thank you uh, for this morning. God, for a time to gather as your people. Got a time to gather to uh, celebrate who you are and what you've done for us and what you are doing in our midst. And God, uh, how you've proven so faithful and amazing throughout history and now you um, continue to work for the good of your people and the glory of your name. Uh, so Lord, I pray uh, as you've drawn us here to worship together, to worship you, I pray now that you would stir up our hearts, affection, and our minds, attention uh, toward you. God, that by your Holy Spirit who inspired the scripture to be written uh, would indeed show up and stir up our minds to understand and our hearts to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. God, that You would transform us uh, personally in our marriages and families and our relationships. Uh, God, as a a church community, uh, God, that you would transform us to be more like your son, Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, and I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is God's word. Friends, life is war, but it's a battle whose victory is secured by Jesus. In Christ, we are equipped uh, to live through it, to prevail together. It's Memorial Day weekend, a time which we remember those who have fallen in service, who have died in combat. Many of you here uh, maybe have family or friends, relatives, loved ones, maybe who have served in our armed forces, and at some point... uh, You maybe have lost someone, maybe in a recent battle or in decades or generations past. I was reading this week an article about just the changes in warfare in the past hundred years. And this article was talking about body armor and, you know, clothing and 
helmets and artillery, things that have changed since World War I to the present day, how fighting tactics have changed and how equipment have changed. And the article went on to say, comparing the trench warfare from World War I to the modern-day uh, war and terrorism, just the difference that it would have made if soldiers in World War I would have had the defensive armor and equipment that our soldiers have today. And just reading uh, the tragedies, that the statistics were staggering, saying that 20% of, of, of all uh, casualties were, um, were uh, to, the, to the head uh, in trench warfare, and just how if they would have had uh, better helmets, maybe some of these guys would have survived or had a less serious injury. And I was reading this week, and it, it paralleled nicely with Ephesians chapter 6, where we are today, when uh, for a guy like me and maybe many of you have not been in combat we really have no idea what it's like to have artillery fired at us and, the, and, and to need equipment to protect us, to keep us safe, and to advance our mission. But when we read Scripture, God's Word is clear. Life is war. There is a battle that we all are a part of, whether we choose to face it or not. And Scripture instructs us of both defensive and advancing ways that we participate in the war that we find ourselves in. Nowhere in Scripture does it say you are to cower in the corner. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that we are to be rogue mercenaries. But rather, Scripture paints a portrait of a, of a cosmic battle of which we find ourselves to be a part. A battle that we find ourselves in together as soldiers, but also equipped for defense and advancement. You see, verse 12 of Ephesians 6 here says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Friends, life is war. But it's a war that is perhaps unseen, it's a supernatural battle, Scripture tells us. It's, it's a supernatural battle against cosmic powers, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. But this is not some random, supernatural, spiritual thing going on up there where we can just kind of do our life over here. It's a very personal battle. There is a war being waged against you. Because Scripture says, we do not wrestle. Now, I'm a dad, so to me, wrestling looks different when I'm wrestling with my three-year-old boy. But the word for wrestle here is an intimate, close, face-to-face, hand-to-hand combat. It's not like playful, <laughs> you know, silly goofing off. It is intense, eye-to-eye, face-to-face, in-your-face struggle. And the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, is writing to the church, both the church in Ephesus, but for us today, some truths about life and about the gospel. We are in a struggle. We, all of us. It is an intense, spiritual, cosmic battle that is personal and close because we wrestle against 
the authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces. And that kind of scares me a little bit. Because I like to think of myself as just an ordinary guy. I drive a minivan. I have four kids. Yesterday I mowed my grass. Like everybody else on my street. But when we read scripture, we discover that belonging to God's people implicates us for the war that's against God. Right? If you belong to Jesus, by default, you are going to find yourself under the fire of the artillery from the enemy that hates Jesus. You can't say, I belong to Jesus. I'm going to go over here and just hang out while Jesus fights over there. If you belong to Jesus and you belong to his people, you will find yourself under heavy fire by the enemy who hates Jesus. And that's what scripture says. This is a cosmic, supernatural, yet close, personal struggle in your face. Scripture tells us, as Paul writes, saying, look, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Just prior to that, he says, be strong in the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Satan hates God. The devil hates Jesus. And he hates you. And the schemes that he has are the the methods, the, the twisting and distorting of the truth, the doubts and the rebellion that he likes to, to help fester within your life so that you too may doubt and distrust and maybe rebel and ultimately hate Jesus too. That's what he wants for you. And he does it in such subtle ways. That's how he works. The devil's schemes, his methods are twisting of the truth, distorting God's word, causing distrust of God's good character. We see this at the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. God creates everything out of nothing, creates everything good, creates the first man and woman, says this is very good. And then Satan turns up in Genesis 3 and says, did, you know, God gave you some instructions, but did he really mean what he said? I mean, what's it going to hurt to doubt God a little? I mean, if he's a good God, he'll get over you doubting him. I mean, you could distrust God a little bit. I mean, after all, it'll be good for you to, you know, become your own person. All hell breaks loose, literally. The, the, The good created order comes unraveled for a season because of rebellion and distrust in God's character, because of Satan's scheming, twisting of the truth. And this happens for you and I today. It may look different because you're probably not with your spouse naked in a garden looking at a tree saying, should we eat that fruit or not? But for you and I, it looks different. I mean, think about the ways that Satan seeks to distract you. Distract you from your identity in Jesus. Maybe you doubt your worth and value. Maybe you uh, disbelieve maybe some instruction that God has made clear in the Bible. Maybe you say, you know, I know God says this, but I'm just going to do this other thing because God doesn't know this circumstance. This is different. This isn't biblical times. Maybe you struggle with uh, issues with your self-image, thinking, man, I'm just, I have messed up so bad. 
There's no way God could forgive me. Maybe you are living your life a certain way, and maybe in marriage and family, and you're just frustrated and saying, this is not what I thought it would be. And in your heart, there's doubt. Is this really what God had for me? There's distrust. There's disbelief. It could be very personal because the struggle we find ourselves, the fighting is a cosmic but very personal attack toward you. Maybe it looks different for you. Maybe you're not a despairing, solemn person, but maybe you're a prideful, strong person saying, look, I know the schemes of the devil, but you know what? I'm awesome. Like, I'm, I'm smart. I'm not going to get duped into this. Or, you know, I'm very, uh, very religious. I've been really good my whole life. I'm a very moral person. I'm very giving. And maybe there's subtle ways that your pride is puffing you up a little bit. That's part of the devil's scheme, too. <laughs> he can either win over despair in your life or pride in your life. Because both of, those, both of those things are rebellion against the God who created you. I read online this morning that, you know, if you guys follow mixed martial arts, UFC stuff, a guy named Forrest Griffin, who's uh, just a champ for the past eight years, actually went to Evans High School locally here, was in law enforcement in the Augusta area, went on to be an international superstar for mixed martial arts, right? And if you've seen this guy or any of these guys fight, they get into a ring, like with no weapons, no anything, and they just go to town on each other. I mean, have you seen this? It's rough. It's bloody. It's really close. It's just bam, bam, smacking and elbows. Only a couple rules, like I think it's like no eye gouging and no, you know, a couple other things. There's very few rules. And that's the image we see of cosmic yet personal struggle. This is where we find ourselves apart from the Lord. We see that there are cosmic forces working for your doom and destruction, and it's personal. It is you're getting into a ring, and somebody's handing you your behind and just pummeling you in the face. And that's where you find ourselves. That's where we find ourselves when we think we can do this battle on our own. When we say, you know what? My life's not that bad. I can do this. Smart, talented, religious I'm holy, I can, I can do this on my own. And you're stepping into a ring to have Forrest Griffin pummel you. Forrest Griffin's not the devil. Bad, I'm just saying, to have the forces of evil pummel you and disfigure your face and just go to town on you. That's why God's word instructs us how we should live. Because we know that life is war. We know that there are cosmic forces working for your doom and destruction, that these things are just... In, by Satan's forces wanting to see creation and God's good order come unraveled, wanting you to have your identity crisis and doubt and distrust the Lord who made you, wants you to think you can do things on your own, and really all the while it is Satan giving you a pat on the back while you step into the ring with no armor, no training, for some hand-to-hand combat to get you hurt and disfigured. But here is the promise of God's word. This is the good news we have here, is that in the midst of a cosmic battle that's not against flesh and blood, it's spiritual, demonic forces, schemes of the devil, in your face, personal attacks, the Apostle Paul says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. You see, we find ourselves first 
in a battle because life is war. But secondly, we see the identity of a warrior. We think often that we are the warrior when we do things with self-reliance or we find, you know, being a warrior is kind of how we're created to be. We all fight for something or someone. Uh, Wherever you find your identity and value and meaning is where you're going to put your energy and and training, so to speak. I mean, if you find your identity in your job, you are just going to bend over backwards and just neglect every area of life to make sure you are the best at this. If you find your identity somewhere else, you're going to just spend all of your time and energy and money and neglect other areas of life to do all of this. Now, obviously, if you were here last week and you're tracking with Ephesians, yes, we are supposed to work hard for the Lord. There is worship in our work, so to speak. But what Scripture says here, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. There's a promise there. There's a command that is rooted in a promise that the Lord fights for us, that the Lord has strength on our behalf for us to tap into, that he's not sending us into the ring to get beat up on our own, to fight for, I mean, just to say, look, good luck. If you want to be my child, go beat that guy and then come back and we'll talk. Or if you want to be a son or daughter of God, if you want to be in my kingdom, you've got to go whip up on that guy. Whoever wins gets to be in my kingdom. Not at all. And sometimes that's what we think, right? We think, you know, I need to do better, try harder, I need to work out uh, in a different way so maybe God will love me and approve of me. But what we see here is that in the midst of this battle called life, we are to be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might. Because our own strength is futile, fleeting, feeble. What does it mean to be strong in the Lord? What does it mean to be strong in the strength of His might? We see that Christ is the ultimate warrior. We see throughout Scripture there's been an anticipation of someone to step in and crush Satan once and for all. Right at the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, we see Satan comes, deceives the first man and first woman. Everything comes unraveled, and there's a promise from God in verse 15 of chapter 3 of Genesis, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This statement is what's known as the first gospel in Scripture. It's the first mention of the promise of God to restore all things that are broken, that Satan and his schemes will not win in the end, that God will send a true warrior to fight for his people, to bring security and freedom and peace. For hundreds of years, God's people were waiting in anticipation of, of someone to step in on behalf of, of God's people to be their Savior, to be their Messiah, to be the one anointed by God to come in and bring peace and freedom and to restore all things that are broken. Hundreds of years before the time of Christ, the prophet Isaiah prophesying about this Messiah that will come one day says in Isaiah 59:17 speaking of this Messiah he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and he wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak a few hundred years later Jesus sets foot in human history 
the fulfillment of this warrior coming to bring freedom and peace, coming to defeat Satan and his schemes once and for all. And then he enlists his people to be in his army with him. Jesus lives the perfect life that we should live but can't. He dies the death on a cross as our substitute for sin and the wrath of God. He comes back to life setting, uh, setting right the, the, the punishment for sin and death, conquering death and coming back and saying, this is the promise I have for you just as I've come back to life, so will you. Death will not be the end. He then uh, commissions his disciples to go out and spread the gospel. They plant churches. The Apostle Paul is writing to one of those churches in Ephesus and says this, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Do not be deceived by the schemes of the devil. We're in a battle. It's cosmic. It's personal. You can't do this on your own. You can only do it with the strength of the Lord, the strength of his might. But you know what? God's made good on that promise. He's not sending you into the ring to fight hand-to-hand combat alone, unarmed, but he is equipping you for this work. And this is what he says. Essentially, he says, God is equipping you as an identity, as a soldier in his army. He's equipping you for uh, defense and for offense. To, be, uh, to stand firm, but to also walk in this way. Because if we're going to fight in this battle, like I said, it's not something we just cower in the corner and say, I hope, I hope it's over soon. Nor do we walk into the ring just like, hey, I can do this. But rather, God equips us in the strength of his might. We are tapping into the strength of the Lord, and the battle we find ourselves in has both defense and offense. Okay, here's how it goes down. We're getting a little practical here. We'll start with the defense. Scripture says this in verse 14. Actually, it says in verse 13. Let's do that one. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 16, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So you see, first is is God has fought a battle for us, bringing freedom, bringing security, restoring peace, defeating the, the works of the devil. He then says, look, you belong to me. I'm fighting for you. I have secured the victory, but there's still a battle going on. I'm not, you can't hide in the corner, but nor am I going to send you to the battle just in some boxers and, and nothing else to just do hand-to-hand combat. I'm going to equip you for the life I've called you to live. I'm going to equip you for defense so that you can stand firm. And I'm also going to equip you so that you can advance this good news. So standing firm looks like this. He first talks about the belt of truth. A soldier in the first century, during the time that this was written, a, a, a belt was, uh, was what held everything in place, like Batman's utility belt. It was something that wasn't, it wasn't just like fashionable, like check out my belt. It, was, it had utilitarian purposes. I mean, there were like weapons dangling off of it. It was something that was, you couldn't go into battle without your belt. 
You had to have it so that you can have everything like latched on there. And Scripture says the belt of truth, I mean, truth, the belt of truth is what holds everything into place as a soldier. But in the sense of the Christian faith, the truth of God is what's revealed to us by the Spirit through God's Word. It's fundamental that we understand that we cannot live life in any way, shape, or form defensively against lies and deceit and wickedness that is out for your destruction, nor can we live life uh, advancing the good news unless we are anchored in the truth of God, the belt of truth. We have to go into battle with a belt, and the truth of God is what's revealed in His Word, the truth about who He is, His character, uh, redemptive history about who we are apart from His intervention, about what He's done for us in Christ, our new identity, how we are to live. Friends, how often do you just get up and live your life not even thinking about the truth? So, we're so easily deceived by lies, thinking, well, I mean, as long as that doesn't hurt anybody, I don't see any harm in it. What does the truth of God say? Or, you know what? I really royally messed up. I, I can never forgive myself. What does Scripture say about forgiveness? Or that person wronged me so much, they're going to have to do some hard making up. Really? What does Scripture say about forgiveness? See, the truth of God is revealed in Scripture, and if we are going to march into the battle called life, we have to have the belt of truth. Where do you look for? What source do you go to for the source of truth? I mean, like I said, this battle is personal, but it's also cosmic. It's cultural. I mean, there are cultural issues in the past couple decades that just blow in my mind. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but man... I'll probably be a conspiracy theorist by the time I'm 80. Actually, I am a conspiracy theorist. You know why? Because Scripture says the devil's scheming for your destruction. It's conspiring for your doom. That's what the Bible says. I'm going to start preaching on the street, y'all. Because this is good news. This is truth. And a lot of us don't believe it. It's just like, well, yeah, the breastplate of truth. I mean, there are cultural issues... We're not going to go there today, but I'll just throw it out there. There's an undefining of marriage and family in our, in our country. I'm not getting political. I'm getting truth. Okay? What does the Bible say? That's all I'm saying. We're going to see today and next week how we are to advance the good news with peace, with grace, with truth, with love. Not with random psycho agendas, but just peace, truth, love, grace, gospel but truth just the same. So it's personal. It's in your marriage. It's in your family. It's in your neighborhood. It's in our culture. So where do you look to for the source of truth? May we fasten on the belt of truth. Because without it, man, we are doomed. What else do we have here for defensive preparations Scripture says the breastplate of righteousness in verse 14. It says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Again, I was reading online this week that you know, since the invention of the bulletproof vest, uh, thousands and thousands of law enforcement officers have, been, have, have survived being shot. I mean, it would have been dead on heart. They would have been gone. But you know what? Thanks to the invention of bulletproof vest, they're alive. 
Likewise, we don't go into battle with, with nothing. We are given from Jesus the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I want us to go back to the book of Isaiah because there's so many parallels between Isaiah and Isaiah 59 and Ephesians 6 because Isaiah is, is prophesying about this Messiah that will come and Ephesians 6 is saying, look, that Messiah has come. So when Isaiah is prophesying in Isaiah 59, you know, he's saying, look, there, uh, it says he put on, talking about the Messiah, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He's talking about, about what this Messiah will do. And when Jesus sets foot on the scene, fulfilling what Isaiah prophesied, he then gives us his righteousness. That's why Isaiah says, hey, Jesus is coming and he will put on the breastplate of righteousness. And then Ephesians, I mean, Paul says, hey, look, you put that on. You put on the breastplate of righteousness that belongs to Jesus. Don't put on your own righteousness. I mean, if you read in Isaiah, we know that the only articles of clothing we bring to the table are filthy rags. We show up saying, I'm ready for battle. Here's my filthy rag. And Paul says, man, just as Isaiah said, the Messiah is coming with the breastplate of righteousness and you belong to him, so you put on that breastplate when you go into battle. Not your own righteousness, but his righteousness. Meaning, Jesus makes you right with God. Jesus makes you right with each other. That's good news, I think. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him who knew no sin, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That means in Christ, friends, the breastplate of righteousness, Jesus adorns you with his righteousness. He makes you right with God and right with each other, and that's good news. That's part of the battle we fight. What other defensive things does Jesus give us? He says the shield of faith. Verse 16, in all circumstances, all, I love that, all circumstances. Hey, I'm having a bad day with my spouse. Well, in that circumstance, take up the shield of faith. Hey, man, um, I'm getting sued. Take up the shield of faith. Uh, I'm getting in a fight at work. Take up the shield of faith. I stubbed my toe. I stepped on my neighbor's dog poop. I want to go slap him. Take up the shield of faith. True story. I like Captain America. My son likes Captain America. And yesterday we were at somebody's house who was having a going away party for somebody. And what does my kid do? He sees a trash can lid and picks it up. He's like, I'm Captain America. He's like running around with this little round trash can lid saying he's Captain America. And I love him because I was like, man, I wanted to be Captain America. But when we see in Scripture, the shield of faith is not some little round, tiny thing. The, the shield of the first century warrior was literally the size of a door. It was huge. And maybe you've seen the movie 300. It's a great illustration of the use of a shield. It was not only for your personal protection, but it was also for the protection of those around you. Like, if you were side by side with other warriors, like 300, right? Side by side. You would have shields in front of you, you would have a shield on top of you, and you could withstand the dark rain of fiery arrows. And not only stand there, but you could actually advance and move forward against the onslaught that was against you. That's the imagery we have here. The shield of faith. 
Faith is belief. Not just conceptual, I believed that that happened. But it's, it's an ongoing relational trust in Jesus. That's what faith is. If you say, I believe Jesus lived 200 years ago, that's not faith. That's, you know, knowledge. Faith is, I believe that Jesus was who he said he was and that he did who, what he said he would do. I believe that Scripture and Isaiah says that Jesus is coming, bringing righteousness, and then Paul says in Ephesians that he gives us that righteousness and that that equips me to be a new person and to live life differently. So Scripture says, look, take up the shield of faith, ongoing relational belief in who Jesus is, what he's done, therefore who you are and how you are to live as his child. Faith is a shield, both defensive, but can also be an offensive weapon. It's something that helps you personally and also those to your right and left. That's why we're a church. We're giving out shields today. I'm just kidding. I wish we could. I'm not even funny today, so let's talk about Jesus. That's more serious. Why try, Jeremy? Why try? What else do we have? The shield of faith, a big door to protect you, protect those to your side. Right? What else does Scripture say? The helmet of salvation. See, I love that. Back to Isaiah 59. What Christ does is Christ puts on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. But in Ephesians 6, this is what he gives us to take up. Ephesians 6, 17 says, take up the helmet. It says, pick up the shield of faith. And then verse 17, take up the helmet of salvation. Man, this is what I just, I just love. One of the many facets of the gospel that I love is this. This is what gives us hope and confidence to endure is that it's like a crown that Jesus gives you. He says, you are not some wicked, crazy orphan boy. You are a prince in my kingdom. And he adorns our heads with the helmet of salvation. He says, you are not some wayward little girl. You're a princess in my kingdom. And he adorns your head with the helmet of salvation. I mean, salvation is, is, is such a broad term in Scripture. It means to be, uh, at its core, it means to be rescued, to be restored in every way, shape, and form. This is what Jesus does for you in your past. He erases who you were as a sinner, as a rebel, he gives you hope for this future of He will save you in the end. You will endure against the evil schemes and the evil day. You will stand with Jesus. You will survive this. It gives you hope and strength in the present. When life is hard, when you're doubting your faith, saying, I don't even know if I believe this anymore, trust this. Jesus saves you. He has saved you. He will save you. He is saving you. No one else can do that for you. Nothing else will save you. Only Christ alone has the helmet of salvation to put on your head. So, so look at this imagery here. You have a soldier with a belt of truth, with the breastplate of righteousness, with the shield of faith, with the helmet of salvation, being equipped for battle, not stepping into the ring to fist fight a UFC champ after you've not even been trained. You... He equips you and says, you're not standing out there alone. You're standing in my strength and my might, and you're standing side by side with other people with shields too. 
and you will endure. You will stand firm defensively. But he also says we will walk forward. And this is pivotal because a soldier who's been equipped and armed who just stands in the corner tweeting misses everything. I mean, you've been equipped defensively to stand firm personally in your family, culturally, politically, religiously, familiarly in your neighborhoods, in your workplace, but also to walk forward, to advance. This is important because I think as a young man, I missed this. When I first became a Christian, I just thought it was all about the defensive. Like, we, I'm a Christian, therefore I shall be known for what I'm against. Okay. <laughs> Scripture says, not only are you going to be known for what you're against, but rather who you're for. I mean, what you're for, for the good news. Verse 15 says this, As shoes for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace. So, we're not barefoot hippie warriors. We are armed with boots of the gospel. Now, the thing about boots in the first century, a warrior was, it was not just a defensive thing, it was an offensive thing. Like the boots had like shin guards to protect you, like if you're a soccer player or whatever, you know the, how many get kicked in the shin, it'll make you say some things. So it was a boot that had protection around your shin and ankle and foot so that if, you know, somebody was throwing rocks at you, you'd be okay. But underneath was some like cleats for traction. Not, not just so that you can stand, but so that you can walk. So if you're on the battlefield and there's like rain and blood and it's slippery, you don't just say, I'm standing here. You go forward. You push through it. And scripture says that those boots for us, those cleated, armored foot protections for traction and protection are for us. It is for us the gospel of peace. The good news. Peace. Shalom. The right relationship with God and with each other because of the person and work of Jesus. You are made right because of Jesus. Others are made right only because of Jesus. And there are people all around you that don't know that. There are people out there that have never heard the good news that Jesus loves them, and sets them free. That Jesus makes them right again with God, makes them right again with each other. There are people who have heard about Jesus and think he's like this angry drill sergeant, right? Like Lieutenant Dan or something? Like yelling? No. He's a, he's a soldier who has won the battle for us and is equipping us to endure the fight until it's done. And the gospel of peace is what we've been given to advance, to move forward. How, how do you do this in your life? Like just think about how are you bringing the good news of peace to your wife, gentlemen, to your husband, ladies? How are we doing that for our children, parents, grandchildren, kids? How are you doing that to your parents? How are you doing that to your neighbor? The, the guy you work with that's just angry all the time. The lady you work with is so lonely and bitter. 
How are you doing that to your neighbor that never has anybody visit them? Or the person that gets picked on at school? How are we doing that collectively as a community defined by this gospel? How are we doing that to the city and to the world? That's the charge we've been given. And we have the belt, the breastplate, the shield, the helmet, and the war boots for the advancement so that not only we would stand firm, but so that we would walk forward so that we would advance the good news, the gospel of peace. A second offensive advancing weapon is the sword of the Spirit. Verse 17, it says, Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I love how those two are together. Like it's not, take up the helmet of salvation. But it's like, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. <laughs> Those two go together? Because like when, when Jesus saves you, says, you belong to me, here's your sword. Like it's not like, hey, you belong to me, just go do whatever you want, we'll call you. You know what I mean? It gives you the helmet and the sword at the same time. You have been saved, you are being saved, you will be saved, but you were equipped offensively to advance the good news. Right? The sword of the Spirit, which is God's word, do you read the Gospels much? I want to encourage you guys to read the Gospel of Matthew. Just even this week, if you look in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus first, as an adult, comes on the scene, he gets baptized by his cousin John and then goes out to the desert for 40 days to fast before he begins his ministry, before he starts like teaching and healing and doing stuff, he goes to the desert to commune with God for 40 days and he's fasting. And if you know the story, who shows up? Satan, right? Freaking out, saying, oh, here's the warrior that God's been promising for a couple decades. Now he's here. Oh no, right? Satan approaches Jesus, and, and Matthew records three instances of Satan tempting Jesus, saying, did God really say that? I mean, it's up to his old, old tricks, just like he did in Genesis. Did God really say you can't do that? Did God really say this? Why don't you do this? If you're really the son of God, why don't you do that? How did Jesus defend himself? Jesus, God incarnate, how did he defend himself against the schemes of Satan? He quoted the Bible. That's awesome. I mean, if Jesus, God's word incarnate, is standing there with Satan and he starts busting out Deuteronomy on the devil, that's rad. Read Matthew chapter 4 and think about that this week. And look back into Deuteronomy to see where Matthew was quoting, like where Jesus was quoting. Because it'll blow your mind to see what Je Jesus and Satan do in battle with God's word. And Jesus always has the upper hand because he's God. And in that moment, as a man, he was truly tempted. As a man, he could have been weak and said, you know, I, now that I'm here on earth, I kind of see what you're getting at. But he didn't. He was rooted in the Word of God, specifically the book of Deuteronomy, which is just jamming. That's where the writer of Hebrews says this, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Bam! 
if you don't have a Bible, I will buy you whichever Bible you want, as long as it's like a Christian Bible. <laughs> I didn't specify that. Well, that was like anarchist Bible. No, I'm not going to buy you the anarchist Bible. Good grief. I don't even know if that is a Bible, but... We have some Bibles here. We will, we will give you one. But if you're like, I don't really like this one. I want another one. Let me know. We will go to the store this week and we will buy you a Bible. And I'll help you learn how to read it, like how to get on a reading plan. Because God has equipped you defensively and offensively and gives you his word. We are in just the most blessed. I mean, technologically speaking, we are just overly blessed, man. I got like nine printed Bibles. A couple, I have one on my phone, iPad. Whatever. You can get it online. I want you to have one of these. And as soldiers equipped to do battle together, alongside one another, tapping into the strength of the Lord, we have a belt, a breastplate, a shield, a helmet, boots, and a sword by which we can read God's Word, we can meditate on Scripture, we can study it, we can memorize it, we can discuss it with one another. Just a little caveat aside, one area that I'm weakest is memorizing Scripture. I'm really weak at it. And I try really hard. <laughs> and I forget. And uh, So I'm in the process of starting a new memorization plan just this week. I'm starting with memorizing uh, the whole chapter 8 of Romans. I'm just starting there, and once I do that, my goal, by God's grace, would be to memorize uh, the entire book of Colossians. And just go from there. I don't know. I'm not good at memorizing. Pray for me. And if you want to do it together, let's do that. It'd be awesome, right? I just wanted to share with you how I'm a weak soldier too, man. I got nine Bibles and all kind of stuff, and I still, you know, Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's as far as I've gotten so far. But here we go. So in conclusion, I'll say this, friends. Um, there's a lot of information today, and next week is, is kind of a part two to this. But what I want us to, to take away from this is first and foremost to understand first the identity of Jesus as our true warrior who has secured the victory for us, and that's good news. But secondly, your identity as a soldier in his army. He secured the victory for the war, but there's still a battle going on right now, and you're in it, whether you want to admit it or not. But the good news is you're not in it alone. You have the strength of the Lord, the strength of his might, and we're together side by side fighting this battle. So the personal schemes of the devil that attack you, your sins, your idols, your identity issues, your discouragement, your pride, let's stand together. And by the grace of God, we'll deal with that together. Likewise, as a community, is our hope and prayer that we are... Uh, getting tighter and tighter together, just like the 300 with the, with the shields in front of them, and they're, they're close together defending each other. They're not stabbing each other like, dude, move over. You know, They're side by side defending each other, advancing the good news together. And that's our hope and prayer of who we are and who we are becoming as a church. God's doing some amazing things in our midst, and over the next couple of weeks, you're going to get to see little snippets of that in people's lives. We're doing like little video series. Some of you are participating in this where you'll get to see little uh, you know, 60-second video snippets of what God's doing in our midst. It's going to be jamming because there's a lot of good stuff going on. 
Friends, we've been armed for action. Being a soldier in Christ's army is not a static thing, but it's an active faith together, striving forward with the good news of peace, trusting in the promise that we will be victorious. Okay? Um, so here at this church, Redemption, we um, are trying to do that a few different ways as we gather to worship in missional communities and um, you know, men's prayer breakfast and mom's play dates and redemption kids and church picnics. We, uh, it's all fighting, believe it or not. But um, we're not fighting each other. We're fighting the cosmic enemy and doing so with the strength of the Lord. Are we good? We're good for now. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for a time uh, to uh, open your word. I got such a hefty passage with such huge implications. And God, I pray that if it's a tidal wave of information that you would, as the wave subsides, you would allow some of this to stick in our hearts and minds. God, that we would trust the, the promise, the truth of who you are and what you've done, Jesus and the new identity we have as your people. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. God, I pray that you would make us strong in your strength to fight the schemes of the devil in our lives. God, that you would uh, have us combat our sin and our heart idols and our just funky moodiness and whatever. God, that, that those would be defeated by the strength of your might, Jesus and that you would give us great joy to do that. God, I pray that you would give us an immense amount of grace and peace as we stand alongside one another as brothers and sisters in the fight, and that we would indeed trust the promise that we will endure, that we will stand firm defensively against the fiery arrows of the devil. And God, I pray that you would give us strength to press forward, to stand firm, but also to advance the gospel of peace the good news of Jesus in our marriages, families, neighborhoods, workplace, schools. God, give us wisdom and confidence with how to do that with all grace for your glory and our joy. In Christ's name, amen.